Hello and good morning. Welcome to the 1513 Network, housed in our offices here at Real Estate Inc., uh, all of which is nestled comfortably in Melbourne's downtown, located at the western entrance, the western entrance. Today we're going to be discussing uh, first-time home buyers with myself, Mark Herendine, my wife, uh, Lisa Herendine, and broker owner of Real Estate Inc., and our guest of honor from Loan Depot, Karen Skirla, specializing in working with first-time home buyers. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Should also say hello to uh, Jordan, the technician and brains behind the computer, and uh, Blake, who's taken some uh, some pictures here inside the network uh, today for today's podcast that you may see online at some point. So. Um, I, I did script a little bit. Uh, I want to start out by saying that for me especially, having or owning equity, in other words, owning a piece or a percentage of real estate is ultimately more valuable to me as opposed to renting, uh, where you don't where you do not own equity, but rather you pay each month to have a continued opportunity to live and occupy a structure. However, everybody has to live somewhere in some capacity. So <laughs> you rent, you don't have an equity position you own, you do have an equity position. And, you know, to be honest with you, everybody's got to start someplace. So with that, uh, I'm going to say hello to Lisa, my wife and broker owner, and Lisa and uh, Karen Skirla from Loan Depot. I'll let you guys kind of open it up from there. Okay. Yeah, Karen and I are working with a couple of first-time home buyers this week, and that's what made me think that we should really do this podcast because one of the questions that I got that you and I talked about is, hey, how do you get paid? And so that's the first thing that always hits my mind is a lot of times buyers don't realize that they can work with an agent and the seller is the one who pays the agent fee. And it was the same thing that when I mentioned that to you, Karen, you mentioned, oh yeah, I should probably let them know that they don't pay me either. And so that's kind of what started us thinking about this. And then I know you really work with a lot of people to get their credit up. And so I thought, let's start with like a general conversation about first time home buyers and, and go from there. And then we can move into talking maybe about some of the fees and the charges and, and who pays what and who's responsible and which way, you know, people can choose to go with a loan, you know, FHA versus conventional. And yeah, so yeah, Karen, I'm going to jump in and let you kind of kind of take the, the steam with the mortgage part of it. Fantastic. Good morning. So yes, it was interesting when you brought that up, because I too have people kind of just we make assumptions that they might know what's going on and what Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be doing. And one of the biggest things is I've had people say, you know, and I think they're keeping it to themselves and eventually come out and say, well, how do I pay you? And they're working on a limited (laughs) budget. So when you said that, I thought, okay, yes, we need to kind of preface, I should be prefacing with that. But um, things are a little bit different right now with the whole COVID thing, which we, you know, it's there, it's in front of us. Um, Some lenders have tightened up some of their restrictions with debt ratios, credit scores, and getting a little more um, restrictive, which may not necessarily be a bad thing because, you know, back when we had the big disaster, 2006 or what have you, which you were discussing in another podcast. The the big real estate implosion. The big implosion, yes. Um, You know, I don't think anyone saw what was coming, and I think now they're kind of putting the brakes on things. But um, I think... um, it's still a good time to be looking the the debt ratio thing and we can talk a little more about that if you want but um, people do still qualify and there are still people working and there are still people looking which is wonderful rates are still good and rates their rate was going to be 3.5 percent we have to rates are great they are yeah they are and a lot of you know now when you hear anything you know with a four suddenly that's a oh high God, rate oh my expensive. god four percent i can't afford that and, yeah, yeah, it's, it's almost free money when but then when inflation. you sit down with them when you sit down with a, a person whether it's over the phone and of course you can do a lot over the phone now and you say well what does that math look like 
do you find that when they start to look at those numbers and they go, wait a minute, that's even at 5%, it's going to cost me this. My rent is 925. Well, well, wait a minute. If you can find rent for nine twenty-five, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. A lot of people are pleasantly surprised, and I always want to have that conversation. And I think people get very scared, and you know, this is a huge undertaking. You know, purchasing a home, and people especially are afraid to look at their credit. Mm-hmm. And credit guidelines have tightened up. Um, you know, where we used to be able to go all the way down to a five twenty credit score, believe it or wow. not for a VA or an FHA loan with someone with a down payment, suddenly now we're at a 620, which is good. Um, you know, somebody with a 520 credit score might not necessarily manage their funds as well, but on the other hand, you might have somebody, as I have had, that had a medical emergency or lost their job or some unforeseen event, and yeah, you can have a lower credit score, but it has tightened up and the, the, uh, the payments can can be pretty affordable. We've had, we've had tenants right now that I've worked with, with because uh, we've talked about uh, re- redevelopment projects that, that we're doing and trying to finish up, <laughs> and there has been some tenants that we've had that where their score was 505 or 510, and I'm, but, you but know, it is. It's gosh, if they programs, bills. now they'd be homeowners in, in, a, in, in, a, in six months. Now they might have to wait a year and a half. I mean, some some folks, it may take a year or two, but that's a nice 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 source, nice referral. So it is speculative, but what do you think? How long do you think that'll last? Because I do feel like this is a little bit of an anomaly in the marketplace, but it's also a great excuse for lenders to tighten up. Absolutely. Well, I've seen a real tightening and then even pretty quickly a loosening. So okay. we're not wanting to hold on to those strict guidelines in any way, you know, for any length of time. So that we're always testing the waters. We've got an amazing CEO that just, he was a mortgage guy himself. He's about my age, so a few decades in the business, but he's yeah. done it all and he just watches like a hawk. So these are the loan programs news. that you have, the portfolio <clears throat> of programs that Loan Depot has. Are all kinds tight, of- But then they open up. They want exactly. Their, okay. Or they might say, okay, you know, we had that huge refinance boom at the beginning of March, rates really dipped and we brought in so many loan applications that we actually physically pumped the brakes a little bit because you've got to be able to get that through the system. But I know some lenders tightened up and weren't taking rate locks and whatnot because it was all over the place. But just as soon as they put the guideline in place, they're tending to loosen up a little bit in all aspects. Okay, that's a really good sign. Absolutely. So I know right now it's a 620. 620 for most programs, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. which still, I mean, that's really not that bad. That's a, you know, because that's a fair score. It is, it is, I think, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a 620 score is really, sorry, not a 620 score, credit scores are the litmus test for lenders that say, okay, can Bob or Susie manage their debt, whether their debt is $1,000, a hundred thousand dollars doesn't matter. It's relative to what they can manage. Is that a fair? Definitely, okay. definitely. Okay. There are so many algorithms and things happening with the credit rating system that, you know, now they look at what you owe, how long you've owed it. You know, do you have any late payments? Believe it or not, the late payment thing is a big indicator of your score, but it's not the most important. You know, mm-hmm. they look at, do you pay your minimum payment every month? Are you paying oh, extra? All of that that's stuff. Interesting. Yeah, and it just kind of shakes out like the old magic eight ball. Algorithm. <laughs> score. Algorithm. Yeah. Right. Yes. If I shake it up, deal, no deal. Right. <laughs> Definite yes. No. Yeah. But, you know, even if someone is sitting here listening today and they're, they're, they've really been thinking about buying a house and they're not sure where to even start, 
and they, let's just say they've got a 618, you know, or let's just say even they've got a 580 as a yeah. good example, because we actually had someone I know um, that was low. You will take a look at their credit and you have tools at your disposal where you can do rescores and help them do different scenarios so that, you know, within three to six months, you know, hey, <clears throat> I can set them up on a watch list. So they're watching the market, seeing what houses are going for. And then you can set them up so that you've monitored their credit and help them get their credit score where it needs to be so that they have a plan to get into a house. And I just wanted to see if you wanted to talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. Our credit company has a simulator. It's actually called What If. And I could actually go in and say, okay, what if they pay this credit card down by X dollars? What if they pay this collection account in full? And it literally, the score, I can see it increasing in front of me based on the little things I'm plugging in. So if people are motivated and really want to get their score up, I mean, it, it comes back to algorithms. I mean, it literally is what you have, what you owe, what your balance is, okay. et cetera. Um, one of the hardest things is sometimes people will look on Credit Karma and they'll say, well, gee, my score is X. Right. We pull an entirely different report. It's very detailed. It looks at public records. Um, and of course, most people have three scores and they might be looking at the highest score where we're gonna use the middle score. So it, it's a good tool to kind of gauge where you're at, but um, it really is a good idea to have me or someone pull your actual residential mortgage credit report. It shows everything that's out there. And once they know what their score is, once they know what's in the report, at least these are the conversations, Lisa, that I've had with, with, uh, with tenants of, <laughs> of any age, whether they're first-time or long-time home buyers, or uh, that once they once, especially first-time home buyers that have never owned ever ever before, and they're young. Um, well, I'm 51, so everybody's younger than, than me. <laughs> but I mean, once that once you get it, once you have the information, once you know what the score is and what affects it, all of a sudden the wheels start to mathematically start to turn. Well, now wait a minute. If I can afford that, you know, and do you and do you do you find that that starts to happen as they start to email you questions and get a little bit and get a little bit more that all of a sudden they're like, okay, let's let's start looking around maybe. Absolutely, and um, you know, one of the important things to me too is that I I it's very important to me what are you comfortable paying every month. So right. while they might be looking at certain homes and they're saying, well, I can afford this, and you're looking around suddenly, $20,000 in a sale price opens up a whole different oh, it does. window or what have you. You can add a swimming pool maybe, or you know, yeah. a, a garage or whatever, but. The difference between a fixer-upper <clears throat> and a one that's ready to move into. Yeah, yeah. it can be huge. Good but, point, Lisa. Yeah, but if people that really are motivated, I can tell they're, they're constantly in touch and they say, hey, I just, they'll, they'll text me, hey, I just saw a Credit Karma said my score went up 10 points and they're excited. Yeah. And it really doesn't take a lot to get that score up. And of course, the higher the score, the better your interest rate. So, but there are people that are motivated and I've got some great stories of people that do listen and they do what they're needing to do and we get them into a home. Yeah, do you want to share one of those? I've got so many. Um, I had a, a young family once. They had four kids, and they both, it was a combined, um, like the Brady Bunch, you know, her yeah. kids, his kids <laughs> combined. And the one of the spouses had much lower score and just pulling the credit. And they were renting a home. They were jammed. They had four kids. 
and having them walk through and say, you need to do these things. I think it was about eight months or so down the road, the scores were sufficient and they had actually saved a little money and they were able to get into a home. And I remember the kids, when the mom said, we got the house, we yeah. got the house. I mean, what a great feeling. It's you know? so sure. exciting. It was so exciting. It's yeah. so exciting. So they're all settled in. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I know. One of my, one of my favorites is... Um, uh, and if you guys are listening, you know who you are. But I worked with a brother and a sister, and one of them took advantage of all the first-time home. They were both first-time homebuyers, but one of them took advantage of all the programs. The other one wanted to do it on their own, and it was just interesting to see how both scenarios played out because there's a lot of things you can do to get closing cost assistance. I know right now these programs are on hold, right, for like 90 days with the county and the city. But those will probably open up back again soon. Well, the state of Florida still has money available through all of their programs. Our okay. company presently is just choosing to do FHA loans through Florida Housing, so you can still get the down payment assistance. Okay. Um, you got to have a higher credit score, 660, I believe, but it's still out there. So, okay. yeah. So how much can you get if you have about a 660 credit score? For assistance, you can yeah. get up to $10,000. So they have two second mortgage programs. One is $7,500 that is um, forgiven, and then you have another, it's $10,000. They repay, I think it's about $69 a month for a 15-year term. So um, they've got grants available and things like that, but the um, the two second mortgages are up to 10000 so the oh. ten thousand you pay on mm -hmm. it every month, but the seventy five hundred you don't have to pay on Correct. every month. Correct. Okay. Yep. Zero percent. Can you use that in conjunction with asking a seller to contribute in closing costs? Absolutely. Okay. So let's tell I guess our buyer, our first time home buyer wannabes out there, a little bit about that because there are things you can do if you don't have a lot of money saved up, and one of those is you know if you're looking at an FHA loan, you only need three point five percent down. And then you can go ahead and you can actually ask the seller for assistance on your closing costs, which is a big expense when you're buying a house. You have some upfront fees, which Karen, I'll let you mm -hmm. jump in and talk about the upfront fees versus what you're paying at closing. And then we can talk about how that all plays into what you're asking for yeah, from what a seller. Are the, so what, what do those upfront fees typically look like right now? The upfront fee for us, well, of course, before you even get to us and the expense of an appraisal, you're going to have your home inspection fee, which typically the buyer will pay that up front and then the appraisal is charged you know up front we have to pay the appraiser that's between 425 500 ish so if you're having the seller cover all the closing costs you know sometimes we can reimburse that particular fee at the closing but really that's it and other than your earnest money deposit yeah so yeah <clears throat> typical earnest money deposits you know, if you're a first-time home buyer in that range of like you know, hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar house, it's typically around a grand. And then your home inspection is is I call it an a la carte menu because it all depends on what you want to get. And I know with FHA they re they usually require some hookups, but I know we've done things with septic on VA where they just have to inspect it. Right? Is it the right. same with FHA? It's a little bit different with FHA. If there is um, city sewer or city um, water available, typically they're going to make you hook up to it. Um, it's a little tricky because it kind of depends on what the appraiser says, but there's a rule of thumb for 3%. So if that cost exceeds 3% of the price of the home, sometimes we can get a waiver on that. But um, I think on the city of Palm Bay particularly, I had gone on and there's a little interactive map and you can look ahead of time yes. to see, and they even actually have the cost. Yes, I've used that there. map. It's a very cool feature that it they is. have. It Especially is. Palm Bay is the one that <clears throat> has a lot of um, septic. So you really have to, you know, if you're buying in Palm Bay, that's something you really do need to look at. City of Melbourne, I, I don't know that I've ever even run into 
I don't think I have either. <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, it's interesting. But, you know, and these are things I know we're kind of getting to the nitty-gritty details. But um, it, this is, I think that it's important that you have a good team working with you. You want an experienced realtor and you want an experienced mortgage broker because all of these little things can come up front and you would you don't want to get under contract on a house that's not going to qualify. So I know like Karen, when you and I work together, you will look at the house and you will help them determine taxes and insurance up front because those are things that can throw their loan ratios out of whack. And again, they might see a house, you know, they might be right around the same price, but they could be radically different in terms of their costs and their escrow accounts. Absolutely, between the insurance and um, the taxes. And I always kind of look at, do you know up front, is it a newer roof? Does it have hurricane protection? And I always try to get a quote from an insurance agent up front because if someone is super tight on their debt ratios or during this time, a new guideline could come out. Typically, if there's a change, it's you know new loan applications from that date forward. Mm-hmm. So if I've got someone in process, we're typically okay. Um, it can be a little bit tricky this time of year also where they start reassessing the properties for taxes. I've had situations where there was somebody living in a home forever and the taxes are maybe 900 a year and they had moved out last year and now the homestead drops. So between loan application and title and closing, the taxes have gone up. Jack's right up right away. Yes. I know this is kind of outside, not like outside, but when you mentioned <laughs> inspection and and even though, uh, you know, leaving the Lisa and I are, are investors and, and Karen, you've owned investment properties before. Mm-hmm. Um, it really it, it helps not just for the first time home buyers that are out there listening, but one of the reasons why we talk to to mortgage brokers like like Karen at Loan Depot, um, talking to you like you're not here. <laughs> uh, we are all six feet away, just for full disclosure. Uh, Absolutely. That um, you don't always know how everything works. I don't do loans. We don't do loans all day long. And Lisa, you know more because you're working with buyers and sellers on the on the licensed real estate agent side of things. As far as inspections are concerned, because the other day I said, well, tell me again when, so, you know, Bob and Susie go to buy a house and when should they try to do that inspection? You know, uh, how soon do you order a survey? You know, we don't want to order the survey if you haven't done the inspection because then they're out 350 mm-hmm. or 250 bucks and why waste their money that way? Yeah, Where, yeah exactly. Yeah, so... If, especially with first-time home buyers, I mean, I know some people will order everything up front, but we usually try to stagger everything. So, for example, we want to know that the house is going to qualify for the financing because, for especially for FHA, the roof has to have at least five years of life left on it, or it won't even qualify. So, the number one step is to get pre-qualified with the lender. The number two step is to make sure that you find the house that you like, and then that you do that inspection. So, generally, we allow about 10 days for the inspection period. You can go longer, but that's A, that's attractive to a seller, and B, you want to know right away if the house is going to work for you and move to the next step, which we do try to do a lot of troubleshooting up front because I hate for a first-time home buyer to have that expense up front and then it doesn't go all the way to closing. Right. And then as soon as we've cleared that home inspection, that's generally when we'll go ahead and say, okay, Karen, go ahead and order that appraisal for them. And that takes a little bit of time to get back. And during that time, you've now got the title company working on everything simultaneously. And Karen's putting the loan through underwriting and trying to get all of the conditions cleared. And, you know, that's a scary time for people. A lot of people think, well, when am I going to be approved for the loan? And Karen, I know you know, it's it's not almost till the end, really, that we get a full official approval. And I know the timeline, but I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about yeah. how that whole process works, too. Yeah. Well, for me, with 
my career behind me, I've come across so many things that you just can't even imagine. I mean, I've always yeah. said all of us in Brevard, realtors, everyone, we should all put a book together, but anonymous yes. about all of our crazy <laughs> things that have happened. Yeah. But um, I typically interview people in great detail. I mean, you can ask someone, you know, what's your pay? And they'll tell you, I mean, is it commission? Is it in um, bonus? Is it overtime? I've had a couple people drop out recently. One guy lost his second job, which we needed to qualify. Uh. Someone else lost their overtime. Um, so you really have to kind of interview and um, look at their tax returns. You know, you might have someone that is, um, um, I don't know, some some employment where they've got a lot of expenses. And if they've got a good tax person, of course, they're going to write off as much expense as they can, lowering their taxable income. Well, guess what? That hurts them at qualification. Right. So you really have yeah, to look at everything. Point. Yeah. So yeah. I try to gather a little overkill up front because I don't want anything to ever come down two weeks, three weeks into it and say, oh, on their tax return, which we just electronically verified, they wrote off half of their income and now they don't qualify. So I try to gather all that stuff up front, look at everything, and I'm pretty comfortable issuing a full pre-approval because I've got most of the documents that I need. But um, if I've got someone that's a little bit tricky or I'm a little unsure, I can actually submit them as a TBD without a property through a full underwriting process so that we don't have any questions and they've already been approved and ready to go. But um, typical timeline, I mean, we're closing in 30 days or less for the most part. So we've got a great digital platform where we do that's a lot great. of our stuff electronically. And, that, and that's 30 days from, from contract, from fully executed contract acceptance, buyer and seller have signed. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Exactly. Which so. is still really good because I know some, some of the bigger institutions are pushing that back now to 45 days. And uh, I don't want to necessarily discourage anyone from working with who they want to, but I would say a mortgage broker is the way to go. Uh, it just it makes the process so much better. You guys, I, I don't know what it is that makes you stand out so much better, but it's just better. <laughs> we just do yeah. mortgages. That's yeah. it. That you know, we're not opening checking accounts or what have you, and we're we're just all mortgage. And you don't have ten people touching the file like with some of the larger bank institutions, where I don't even know who to follow up with sometimes when it's in the process. Where when you have that direct one-on-one -on -one contact, and I can call you, and you know exactly where the loan is in the process, it makes a really big difference for a buyer, especially a first-time home buyer, because it is you know it can be scary and overwhelming. It's uh, for us, it's standard, but when you haven't done it before, it's not standard. Exactly. And I like to make myself available. I try to keep my phone on. If someone is panicking about something at night and they can text me right. and I can t text back right. yes or no, or you're going to be okay or what have you, and they can sleep that night, yeah. that, that is really nice for me. I told, uh, I've had uh, tenants that I've said, uh, you know, who do you bank with? And they'll say, uh, a, a traditional lender, let's just say one that isn't around, will go via you know just a, a big a big lender, and uh, or all the way to a to a to a to a credit union. Um, and but I'll also say you know go. I've told tenants you know go sit down with your banker, not physically nowadays, but call the banker, talk to them, find out what your what your what your buying power is like. But I will say you're gonna get a whole lot more personal help from someone who is just a mortgage broker and not someone who works for a large-scale financial institution. And that dog in the institutions, uh, companies like Loan Depot get, you know, do portfolio loans with, you know, you different banks combined because maybe someone's got a better lead on a particular market. I don't know how the mm -hmm. world works to that extent, yep. but you're not going to get the same kind of help uh, from, no offense to the credit unions or the institutional lenders from calling them in um, because they're, like you said, they're doing checking accounts. And so it's, it's much better mm -hmm. that way. But, 
at the same time they're talking to you, they're easily going to find out, well, you know, wait a minute, I'm getting a whole lot more, not hand-holding necessarily, but a whole lot more, here's a short punch list of items, four or five items I want you to do, simple, simple stuff. And then they look back and all of a sudden they're like, you know, I gave you four items, you know, a couple weeks ago, you've actually now done 15. Mm-hmm. So now that four seems like no big deal. Real Estate Inc. is brought to you by the 1513 Network. Because of listeners like you who take the extra step to head on over to Patreon and become a monthly supporter, we're able to keep doing what we do. Check out the link in the description or just head on over to our website. Now back to Real Estate Inc. Right. Yeah, and let's talk, um, I was thinking, let's talk about relocations just because our area is exploding right now. I think Brevard and downtown Melbourne, this whole area around the airport, it's it's just really, we're we're doing very, very well here. It's still exploding. Yeah, it's still exploding. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I know... um, you know, generally you have to show that someone's been employed for two years, but if they're a relocation and they're in the same industry, <clears throat> that should not discourage them from applying because you can get around that as well, right? Absolutely. Um, we've got a lot of people relocating here, and there are some programs where we have to have a written verification of employment that you've actually started your job. And then there are others where um, if you have a letter that states you're coming and you're going to be starting employment within 60 days, we can use that. So yeah. in some instances, we just need your first pay stub before your first payment is made. So if you think about, you know, closing in June, first payment is August, you know, we can work that out. So, yeah, yeah, we, we do that a lot. You know, it's an That's exciting time. So I printed just a little sample of, of, of Karen's uh, detail and fee worksheet, too, in front of me, just, just to give everyone out there a little bit of an example. You know, basically, this was for a $165,000 house. And, of course, everybody's going to be a little bit different, again, because taxes and insurance vary, rates vary. But just to give people an example, you know, if they were going FHA, they were going to need... Um, I believe, hold on, Karen, Fifty-seven seventy-five down, or was it a little bit higher yep, than that? That's it. Yep, yep, that's it. And then the total loan costs were around 10000 And you can ask with FHA for up to 6% of the closing costs, You correct? can ask for up to 6%, yeah. And um, I know this form can be a little bit confusing. What I did here for your client in this case is we assumed the seller was going to pay all the closing costs, and it's actually only 7600 and change. Mm-hmm. Only. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I know. But I like to do these sheets up front because if you're negotiating an offer and you say, we want the seller to pay up to 6% of closing costs, and they're 7,600, which I don't have my calculator, but is, you know, It was quite like a, bit, a little bit over 4%. Right. I did the math. So yeah. that sounds a lot better. So if you're thinking they can pay that much and the costs aren't that much, you might scare that seller off. So I like to do these sheets, not only so you know mm-hmm. what you need to ask for when you're negotiating, but the client knows pretty much, you know, almost to the penny what um, their payment's going to be. So let me, let me just ask, so, so FHA, because I, tell me what, uh, again, FHA stands for? Federal housing. Okay. And the, and the, what we're looking at is a loan detail and fee worksheet that Karen did for a, a customer of Lisa's currently right now um, that um, shows um, everything from um, discount points to an appraisal fee. I know one thing that I always, um, I had someone ask me the other day, Listen, I, I, I knew what it was. I just did a horrible job of explaining it. <laughs> an origination fee. They're like, well, what's an origination fee? Because they could look at an appraisal and they go, well, it looks like it's how much something's worth. A credit report fee. Okay, you're going to charge me to find out what my credit score. So those wordings are all, you know, they can kind of surmise from having had credit cards or a cell phone, which is more like simple interest. So an origination fee. 
basically it's what the lender charges cost of doing business frankly okay um, and one other thing I want to mention too discount points you know you see kind of in there a percentage of your loan amount each of those a discount point can actually be used to literally discount your rate. So being charged an origination fee is just a cost to the borrower, but a discount point um, is to buy down the rate. So if we eliminated this fee for a discount point, the interest rate would have been a little higher. Yep. So if you pay that smaller fee up front, you're buying down or discounting to a lower rate, and over the life of the loan, that can be literally tens of thousands. And you can tell the buyer, Karen, in that case, you can say, okay, you know, Susie. Susie is, by the way, not the name on the loan detail sheet. <laughs> <laughs> We've protected the names of the innocent. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the the you can say, hey, Susie. You know, if you pay, in this case, it was six hundred and fifteen dollars. If yeah. you if you pay upfront uh, from your checking account uh, six hundred and fifteen dollars, then your interest rate that you pay for the money you're borrowing from the bank is lowered by whatever percentage rate. Right. And then you can say to them. And they say, well, gosh, that's almost $1,000. Whatever they say, you can say, well, Susie, here's why that's worth it. You will actually pay $10,000 out. Right. However, if you give me less than a grand mm -hmm. or give the, the the bank less than a grand, yep. you save $10,000. Right. So that's worth it, and that's mm -hmm. why. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then typically, you know, when a, when a, a buyer gets this, you know, I... It's, it's overwhelming, I think. Yes. It really is. <laughs> but, you know, the lender is only really responsible for an origination fee, a processing fee, and an underwriting fee. And the rest of the fees are pretty much either set by the state or, you know, they're set by the title company, which is really just generally their closing fee. So these fees... You know, it's not like buying a car, I guess I should say, where you go in and you worry that things are being switched up or, you know, the only switch up is if you're actually choosing to pay a discount fee to buy your mortgage down. Everything else is really pretty set. You know, like you said, it's the cost of doing business. There's nothing there's nothing crazy going on here on this right. sheet. It's standard. <laughs> yeah, Everything in Florida is pretty standard. Same thing with the contract, because I know first-time buyers are sometimes overwhelmed by the contract, but we use standard Florida contracts that were prepared by attorneys and we are only allowed to pretty much fill in the blanks right. so everything is already set up and ready for someone to come in and buy it's just a matter of working with the right people who can explain all of this to you and in a way that you understand it right correct yeah a lot of third-party fees you know title the property surveyor the um um <laughs> The government, of course, gets in and they want their intangible taxes, doc stamps, you know, your homeowner's insurance, property taxes. It's a lot of other moving parts. Title insurance. And that's a good move because there was a, so, you know, like um, if you have an encroachment issue, if you, if you you buy a house and, you know, the two families have been living in each of the houses for, for decades and decades and decades. And so you, you buy a house. So title insurance would cover or protect like insurance for a car in that the title and you buy the house and the house next door encroaches on the backyard doesn't affect the building but it does go under what is technically the chain link or wood fence and that's not supposed to be there and so title insurance would protect the buyer the first time home buyer that new that new house so when Susie and Bob move in and they find out that uh, you know Fred's house next door encroaches onto it shouldn't and the title insurance can help protect for that in, in the capacity. And how right. does that work? If there was a claim for any reason, swimming pool is where it shouldn't be, or the house is actually where it shouldn't be, and someone files a claim, the title insurance covers that 
to reimburse or however they settle that, but they're protected. The lender is protected by the lender title insurance and mm -hmm. the owner is protected by the owner title. So okay. And they would, the lender would definitely request something oh, yeah. if they knew about it up front, some sort of endorsement, Florida endorsement Correct. form. Right. So that's and, all covered. And then the, and the, the endorsement is, is, is saying we're, we're aware of that, you're protected. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm trying to think of what else we would like to cover because this has been really great, and we don't want to well, want to lose everybody's attention. The, I, you well, probably the, want to talk about the, the equity. The time, the timing is good yeah. because one of the things that we were gonna gonna go into is, um, and I don't don't necessarily um, the source of this was printed uh, this this morning. This is a, uh, a first time home buyer uh, building we building wealth website, but I'll give you the the renter's version first. <laughs> The national average for a renter in a household's wealth is, is about $5,000. That's pretty good. I mean, if the renters, for example, that we work with had um, any renter for that matter, especially younger renters, have $5,000 in, in either uh, equity savings, yeah. or savings, $5,000 in savings. I mean, by a lot of today's rents, $5,000 could afford four four months of rent, and in, in some cases, even even a full year potentially, about half a year. Um, the average homeowner, household wealth, the average, is a little over a quarter million dollars. Wow. <laughs> so 230,000. Wow. Technically, to, to 231,420. What is that math? <laughs> Isn't it like 44 times or something? It's, 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 it's a big number. Yeah. And I know that it, I've told tenants before or encouraged tenants, you know, the kind of equity and the wealth that you're building right now may not look sexy at $2,000 or $1,000, but in seven to 10 years, if you pretend like the equity's not there, take care of the house, you know, put uh, the 1% of your paycheck away in a savings account, maybe you, can, maybe you can put it into a retirement account, maybe you can't, however you want to do it, boy, it's, you know, seven to 10 years later, um, that's some good looking cash. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> And I just thought of something else, but Karen, you had a thought. No, no, go ahead. I, I don't want to forget, but I, if you're playing out, I forgot that we, we want to talk about the difference between FHA and conventional loans, too. Oh, sure. Yeah, right. but I don't want to cut your other thought no, off. No, no, that that's a good yeah. thought. Okay. Yeah, um, generally what it comes down to is somebody with a higher credit score, I tend to look at a conventional loan versus FHA. With a minimum down payment, um, both are great loans. Um, an FHA loan, um, everyone's familiar or may not be familiar, PMI or private mortgage insurance. If you put down less than 20%, you're a higher risk of foreclosure. So the banks will allow lower down payment loans, but your payment each month includes mortgage insurance to insure against default. Um, on an FHA loan, that PMI or mortgage insurance is in your payment for the life of the loan. Which is new over it, the past it, few years. It is. It is. It yeah, used to. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. And um, unless you put 10% or more down, you know, most first-time homebuyers don't have that much money. So I tend to look at more of the conventional type loan if they've got a higher credit score because the mortgage insurance does drop out of your payment when you build that 20% equity. Um, interest rates tend to be... Um, 
very much tied to your credit score on a conventional loan. And some people might not know, your credit score also drives the cost of your mortgage insurance on a conventional loan. So if you've got a higher credit score, you're gonna pay less in mortgage insurance than someone with an identical sale price and loan amount but a lower credit score. So it's, it's I kind of weigh, weigh all of it out. Then you have and to look at that new upfront funding fee, which is rather new and substantial. It's a substantial amount of your closing costs to pay that MIP upfront. Yeah, it's financed into the loan, which is great, but it does yeah. add the cost. It's 1.75% of your base loan amount, and I can okay, go see, down I that whole thing. I just learned something new today. You see, there you go. Yeah. So that's financed into the oh. loan. So when you're looking at a closing cost sheet, somebody might panic because that can be several thousand dollars, and you're thinking, I don't have that kind of money. They add that to the loan amount, which, of course, it's less than four dollars per thousand that you finance on a 30-year loan so your conventional loan in reference to pmi the pmi on a conventional loan can drop off once the homeowner gets to where they have 80 percent loan to value so of the total value of their project 80 percent of it is the loan 20 percent is their equity correct at that moment their pmi is gone right (laughs) at fha for the Federal Housing Association, am I getting that right? Yes, okay. you did. <laughs> um, the PMI, amount of PMI in, in each payment by percentage remains in that loan for the life of the and you can't buy it out. You can't. <laughs> and even if you're getting an FHA loan for one reason or another, there's a whole lot of reasons why you would do that. If you even have a 50% down payment initially, you still have to pay the mortgage insurance. Yeah. Wow, that sucks. Yeah, it does. (laughs) That's not good. Right, but if you had a lower credit score (laughs) or there was a particular reason, super high debt ratio, something. So it's, you know, one last last thing, Lisa, and then jump in for sure. So it it sometimes would pay then whether we're having, and anyone's having a conversation with a first-time home buyer, Blake and Jordan, for example, or or, or looking at maybe buying a house in the next couple of years, is is if their credit score is sufficient for FHA, um, how long would you know to ask them? Hey guys, how long? How long could you wait to get to where you can get a conventional loan? You could even talk about like right now we're in a we're in a softening seller's market. We are still in a very healthy market. Don't let the press fool you. Right. That was a previous podcast, <laughs> yes. but yeah, um, we are true. in a very healthy market, and Brevard County is very is low inventory. Very low inventory, and um, our sample pool here inside of the fifteen thirteen network is an example of people that are out there still want to buy but the going back to the FHA waiting from waiting from some waiting for someone to wait from going from an FHA to a conventional you could actually Karen you could sit down with them and say okay you know Lisa at Real Estate Inc has said okay here's your you know here's your credit score right now and uh, here's what here here's your bank address here's what's in our inventory here's here are the houses that are out there available you know I think if you waited a year maybe it might be less but then in the meantime somebody like you karen can can help them get their score to go back up go okay great guys now you're in the range of conventional right to, to do that right and what is the minimum for the conventional down payments three percent that's what i thought um 
Uh, Freddie Mac just came out with a 3% down program where typically on a conventional loan with a lower down payment, you have to have a, a, an income that's at 80% or, or less of the area median income, which that figure is 52720 I think, in our area. But they also just came out with a program called Home One where they don't have to be a first-time home buyer. There are no income restrictions, and they can put as little as 3% down which and is great. What is the minimum score requirement for that today? Obviously, keep in mind, buyers out there, that this changes daily, weekly, probably hourly. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> 620. Yeah. Again, we're all in that. Wow. Yeah. So that's so that's really good. It is. Yeah. It is. And the higher that score is, then that just means the better that the rate that they're going to get and the better. Now, is it the same thing with the better the PMI, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's encouraging. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there right now that are listening to this and thinking, wow, I could probably buy a house and I didn't think I could before. So right now the area median income, sorry, right now the area median home price <laughs> I saw on Lisa, as my broker owner, you are open to correct me. <laughs> <laughs> I read was 165,000, 163,000. I think that's pretty close. I actually, I don't have it in front of me. So if you take 168,000, multiply 3%, that's a 4950, 4,950 um, to uh, for deposit to secure that, and I and so for right now, for example, if you take like we have, um, not to talk about our project, but just to say that like one of the one bedroom one bath apartments that we have for rent right now, <coughs> excuse me, is seven seventy five. Oh. I multiply that by twelve, it's ninety three hundred. So ninety nine thousand three hundred dollars per year you pay in rent. You know, thank you, blank, thank you, Jordan. They're not actually my tenants, but I'm using the example. <laughs> and I would love nothing better than to see somebody see a tenant be lost. Uh, to buying a house. So you pay half of that, less than half of that, way less than half of that, it, it, actually, mm -hmm. and you own a house. Right. Right. And if you look at the, you know, we do a lot of fair market rents right now because we also do affordable housing. And when you look at the fair market rent for a three-bedroom, two-bath, it's around $1,200 a month. So if you were to buy a three-bedroom, two-bath, you're probably at a significantly lower payment or at least the same or less if you own versus and, rent. And, and for those out there, take this and run with it, Karen. So, and for, for those out there that are looking at uh, fair market rent, like the Highland Apartment Building uh, development that's hopefully going to oh, open up this a, summer, yeah, that's <laughs> well, be their, their lowest price is going to be fifteen to 1600 a month. But yeah. you're getting Wi-Fi enabled, Luxury. nice floors. Oh. Um, yeah. However, it also tells people that are working in Brevard County that's kind of an indication of the underlying value of stuff, Sorry. housing, in Brevard County. The days of finding a really nice $90,000 three-bedroom, two-bath house are gone. <laughs> that doesn't mean the value's not there for first-time home buyers. So, I mean, you know, when you're working with people on that, and, and, and it's really a question for both you, Karen, and the you, Lisa, uh, to... How do you how do you have that conversation with a with a you know with a first time home buyer that says holy oh my gosh well, you know I'm 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 barely trying to you know I'm 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 trying to afford nine hundred you know looking at how they can how could how can they increase their I mean that could be a long conversation obviously how do you increase your income could require training and things of that nature but when you have those conversations how 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 do you see those conversations going. So in other words, if someone's trying to go up a little bit on their payment, yeah. I guess, you know, to me, it's it's almost like you're looking at putting that in a savings account because you're building equity and you're paying down your mortgage. Okay. So again, you know, if you're renting, the money's just going out into thin air. There's nothing that you're building at all. 
So uh, we don't want anyone to stretch more than they can afford because right. the whole goal is to get it and to be affordable. So almost like create a, like a rainy day kind of account mentality, whether it's an actual envelope, which some people have right. done in the past. Right. We've all had the <laughs> yeah. envelope for the car. The, the, yeah, that's a good way to look you at know, it. Uh, instead of the envelope could be uh, um, a savings account with a bank that maybe is not tied to your regular checking account so that you, you have to physically go to the bank or however you want to structure that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good but idea. Yeah, and, and, you know, to anyone out there who's listening who either knows someone or is, or is wanting to pull the trigger on something, then they can reach out to us or to Karen directly to ask any questions that they have. I know we're, we're, our contact info is always listed right on the uh, on Website. the title page for, mm-hmm. the, for the podcast that goes out. Or if you're picking this up on iTunes, I guess we should probably say we're at Real Estate Inc. in downtown Melbourne. And uh, the, our phone number, my phone number directly is 321-863-4424. And Karen, I'll let you do a plug out for where you are and your contact information. Great. Currently working at home, but <laughs> oh, yeah, right. which is nice. We can get a lot done from home. But yeah, yeah I'm I mostly work from home. So you know, anytime my cell phone three two one four zero three seven two one six, Lone Depot. Yeah. And I want to jump in, and 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 we can we can start to kind of segue into into wrapping up uh, with the idea that and this is again coming from a, a website that we printed off uh, the other day. I think it says uh, keeping current matters, keepingcurrentmatters.com. Um, but we did do a lot a little bit of research, and and all of the research online did was very consistent. One said that the net worth of a homeowner is forty four times greater than that of of a renter, <laughs> and it's not it's. I want to point out that it's not the it's not the money, it's it's how they got there. It's not what they have, but it's how they got there. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the song that says it's it's not um, liking what you have. It's wanting. No, it's not uh, li- liking what you have. It's oh, I'm gonna mess up the quote on air. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you've got to you've got to uh, appreciate what you have. And, and, and how you got there. Um, there's a greater amount of equity. The greater amount of equity uh, in a home also gives you options, earns you options. And the actual statement says greater equity in your home gives you options. And I'd like to think that you've earned that option. If you have equity in your house, it doesn't mean you're always going to touch it. But if uh, uh, Blake and Jordan, for example, here at the 1513 Network in downtown Melbourne want to go off and, and expand the business or expand it. I don't know what businesses they do besides uh, doing the work here, but they um, they want to do something. Um, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that unlike 2008, I should mention, and most people really did not use their, their homes as a piggy bank. Um, that's an overwhelming majority did not do that regardless of what the press or the news might have said way back when in the day. But your house is your equity and maybe you want to go back to school. Maybe you want to put your kids through college. Um, and and it doesn't mean you pull out thousands of dollars. Maybe you, of course, you have to pay to pull that money out. Um, but yeah, I know when I was growing up, that yep. was a very common way to pay for college. Is your parents would pull money out of their yeah. house. Yeah, I yeah. went to Florida State University, go Seminoles. Yeah, uh, and Not my a home equity line. My mom pulled a home equity line <laughs> and credit on her house in Miami and paid to, paid my way through college, and um, uh, uh, and so that's a that's a, certainly a way to be able to do that. Um, the aspect of first-time home home buying is is a whole lot less daunting when you start to look at it uh, just as um, just as when somebody explains how to do a podcast uh, 10 or 20 years ago like oh we have to have a big ass you know studio we've got to have all this stuff and I can tell you that uh, 
you know, we're, like I said, nestled comfortably here in downtown Melbourne at her western entrance. And I want to thank, um, I want to thank uh, Karen Skirla from Lone Depot for being here um, and, 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 and any of the, any of the uh, mortgage brokers that we work with. Um, my wife, Lisa Herendine, owner-broker of Real Estate, Inc., and of course, uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon, sorry, that's not Brandon, that's Jordan, <laughs> uh, Jordan and Blake. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone and, and tune in next time. And for looking at the Real Estate Inc. podcast, just go to the 1513 Network or they can go to Apple, iTunes. Lisa, Apple iTunes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they can find it there. Thanks very much. Thank you all. Yeah, thanks.